0: welcome back you're listening to the dynasty market watch Bear, yesterday's price is not today's price we're presented by the bulletproof family of podcasts today we are talking dynasty startup strategy i'm joined as always by brian o'leary and matt davis
1: yeah todd you're i, I don't want to interrupt you too quickly here but i can't hold it in any longer I'm, I'm super excited i'm anxious i know we just finished a startup but doing all the research for the show today um i'm overly excited to try and kind of put some of the things that i kind of c- concluded uh see if i can put them to action and not screw it up too bad so yeah i'm i'm super excited for the show today for sure if you can't tell
0: yeah like you said we just did a dynasty startup. It seems like with a dynasty startup, every time you do one, you kind of like pick up on new things that you want to try for the next time. And there's what you feel like you can perfect it the next time you do a dynasty startup. So we're going to go through what our dynasty startup principles are. We're going to go through trading in startups and how to know what is good value within those trades. And then we'll hit on the debate that is old as time. Do you go contender or do you go tank? where you try to thread the needle on your dynasty startups, and then we'll get to the meat and potatoes, what everybody wants to really hear, what I think is probably the most exciting. We're going to talk about what is our strategy for this year? What are we doing in our startups over the next six months? So, Brian, without further ado, play that Fat Joe.
2: Yesterday's price is not today's Why?
0: So we're gonna lead it off with Matt here. So what just to kind of reiterate what we're doing here. So we're gonna we're talking dynasty startup principles. And the way I would think about these principles are they're more like evergreen content. So you could hear these principles. My principles for today are the same as they were last year, the year before that. Obviously, they're developing over time and they're improving. But if I listen back to this podcast in a year from now, my principles will probably be pretty similar. It's more uh, player agnostic. Um, but I'm looking at What am I doing in the startup to put myself in the best chance to succeed? So we're going to go through what our our, each of our principles are. Matt, you can lead us off.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first one that comes to mind, uh, I think, is kind of a bedrock of almost every person who's done multiple leagues is I'm going to look to trade back. Uh, As soon as I'm on the clock, before I'm on the clock, I'm identifying, you know, what slot I'm drafting from. Ideally, I'm going to know a little bit about the tendencies of my league mates. If I've been in a few leagues before them, who likes to trade up, who doesn't. Um, I'd like to try and get a few extra future draft picks, uh, draft capital in in any startup. Whether I'm going win now or one-year punt, it does not matter. Uh, It just keeps flexibility open. So uh, looking to trade back is, you know, the main one. It's probably an obvious one. Uh, The other thing I'm doing is... You know, again, this might be a little obvious, but research the ADP, look at recent startups, ask your buddies if they have any examples of recent startups. So you have a good idea of when tier breaks start, when tier breaks end. Uh, like if you if getting a, you know, top 10 quarterback is a really important thing, to you know, when that last one usually goes.
0: So you bring up ADP. I think that's a really good one. It's like um kind of like easy to overlook that one. I didn't even really. I wasn't really thinking in terms of like looking at ADP, but that's something that I do within every draft, like check, find the ADP and then kind of keep an eye on it. I don't want to be a prisoner to ADP, but it kind of does give you an idea of what others are drafting. And when you say ADP, you're not talking about what the sleeper ADP is because the sleeper ADP is pretty much always jack.
2: Right, we're yeah, we're talking like real life drafts and the the other thing before I pass it to Brian that I'll mention is uh once I'm on the clock for the first time, generally what I'm going to do is set a queue of at least 12 to 20 guys in order uh till the next time I pick and that'll give me an idea of, you know, who's left or I'm not really a big trade up guy, but if there's only five guys left and 10 uh, that I really want, and there's a huge tier break. That'll that queue that I have set up will kind of give me an idea of when I will make an exception to that rule and look to trade up. Go ahead, Brian. I
1: I think the queue thing is a really good idea. When I first started playing Dynasty, I would dump in tons and tons of guys, like, oh, I don't want to forget about this player, or like, here's my sleeper pick for round eleven, or whatever the case is. But it, I found after a while. It, cause I did so many startups cause I'm a sicko, um, that it would kind of cloud, um, things up. And I think what you're explaining, Matt is just like saying, Hey, I picked now before my next pick, I want to do 11 or 12 guys in there that like, I'll be happy with. And if it's only eight, maybe that's when I do trade up. And if it's like 15 or 16 or 17, that's when you might trade back. And like, that's like a simplified tiering system, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. the other thing I would say that you could use a Q four for, like, uh, we had some startups that we were doing uh, while the NFL playoffs were going on. So they were using, like, last year's ADP. And, you know, you have to kind of dig to find guys like McBride and Tank Dell and Puka and, like, just so you don't forget about them, basically, because that's easy to do, even if you have a good idea yeah. of what the real yeah, life is
1: there's there's a draft that I did um I think two years ago where it was like cooper cup it was before his explosion so maybe it was three years ago and we were doing in the off season when it was still sl- oh, like jacked up sleep sleeper adp this is just a you know an easy example and cooper cup was like projected like round five or six or something like that and I remember it was coming off of his unreal season I got him in like round three or four with like a pretty sharp group that just kind of like forgot about him
2: so yeah it, it happens every draft it seems like
1: yeah so yeah I, I think that's that that's it's kind of a nice segue into my couple principles that i always try and sometimes it's easier said than done um for this first one but remaining flexible is for as long as possible in an actual well in your build and your game strategy i think is a huge advantage So if you walk into the draft and say i'm going to win now i'm shoving the chips in that kind of pigeonholes yourself into like a certain spot that you might start reaching or pulling on guys that you don't necessarily like or making moves that you're, you're, you're putting yourself in a, in an uncomfortable, perilous situation. So for me, I always try and remain as flexible as possible so that you can kind of, you can read what your other league mates are doing as the drafts going on. So uh, reading the room, I think in this sense, yes, it's a broad and sometimes a catch-all, but In this sense, reading the room is saying, Hey, I see that Matt has win now player X, Y, and Z. I know he's probably not going rookie pick 108 here. He's probably going to take, you know, a Devontae Adams type or like when it's like a fringe one or the other, and then I might be able to extract some value because of that type of movement or knowledge. Of course he could always Or they might
0: they might be willing to move their future you know, second, round yeah. rookie,
1: first round. Rookie yeah. pick, And in general, like I, whether I'm thinking I'm going to be a contender or a rebuild, I don't like passing up on certain values. So like if Christian McCaffrey drops to round four, I was planning on being a real rebuild. I'm not going to take rookie pick one Oh six because it's a rookie pick over Christian McCaffrey or something like that. You know, something crazy. Um, I would, you know, You can always get that value some other time. Like I'll trade Christian McCaffrey in season for an unreal, unreal haul. I would imagine. So like that type of stuff, um, that to me falls under the under the the layer of flexibility as well. So that that's one. And my second one, in I I guess this is it seems kind of clear cut, but maybe some people aren't doing this. And for me, it all it opened the game up in terms of startups. Um, I would go into a startup like thinking, how many guys do I think are worth a first round rookie pick or more. Like if we were in season, would I trade this guy for a rookie pick uh future first? What that does for me, and I hope other people, if if they're not doing this and they think about it a little bit, is that it kind of allows you to say, I don't know what um, and we'll get into a little bit more of this later, but like startup pick 50512. I don't know what that means. But if I can apply like, hey, that is this player that I view as a first and a second, it kind of allows me to trade how I normally and I'm more comfortable with trading like player for player sort of thing. So it kind of helped me kind of gauge um, parameters of what startup picks were being because the biggest issue I see is like a lot of people will trade startup picks, not really knowing what it is. And all of a sudden they look back and they're like, oh my God, I just traded, a, you know, three or four things for a guy that I would have maybe paid one of those things for.
0: Okay, so you're saying a, kind of applying a rookie pick value to draft slots in a sense.
1: Yeah, like if, if 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 we get to like ADP, we're talking about and like and you know Zay Flowers is going in you know late fifth round. I I definitely view him as more than just a, a standard blank rookie first round pick, right? So like that for sure is a scale. Then I can move back and say, okay, six oh five. Do I think that's still worth a rookie first first round pick? That sort of thing.
0: Okay, so um, Matt, you had trading back and kind of understanding what the ADP is and kind of using utilizing the queue for your upcoming picks. Brian, staying flexible, kind of an overarching idea, but um, I think we get the gist and then kind of applying what those future rookie pick values are. So I've got three principles here. Um, the first one's really simple. Um, in the first seven rounds-ish, seven-ish rounds, eight, I'm looking to draft players that I think are going to increase in value or increase ADP by next year. So, what does that mean? I'm probably ending up in a lot of punts, most likely, <laughs> and a lot of uh, non-contender builds. So, like in this previous draft I just did, I took Will Levis in uh, round eight. So, like I'm hoping that he can increase in value. So, like. Increase in value year over year. So I'm not probably taking twenty-nine year old receivers in those first six, seven rounds most so, likely.
1: So, so let me let me let me interrupt you here, Todd, with a question. What yeah. about someone like Stefan Diggs that might be like artificially devalued right now because of a stretch that he had last season? Yes, he's older, but proven production, you know, everyone loves Josh Allen and the Bills offense in general for the most part. Is that someone that in six months he could be worth? more than he is right now he's not necessarily gonna scale up for the next three years or something like that but is that someone that's falling into your your value gain?
0: yeah if it's something like where I'm drafting here in February and by like August September I think that they could increase value for example like if see C- you mentioned CMC he's going in the fourth round by um, August redraft season he's going in like probably the third then yeah that I would view that as like a value gain because you can always trade trade later. But ultimately, I'm trying to – and and I'm not – it's not necessarily like I want like a full round of value. I just don't want to take a, a loss in value is probably the better way of looking at it. Like I don't I don't want to take Stephon Diggs in round seven knowing that most likely next year he'll be like a round nine player. Or, you know, I'm not going to kind of like take the player out of it. So, like maybe don't use Diggs. But just I don't want to take a guy that I know is going to lose value. Yeah. Um, I, I would much <laughs> rather – um target maintaining or increasing value which sounds simple but i think a lot of players in those first seven rounds are destined to lose value because of their age because maybe they just had a peak season whatever that is
2: so i think that's probably one of the big differences that uh in your strategy uh, between me and brian like me and Brian, I think, have no problem switching up to a win now build and taking Tyreek and CMC if the value's right and if everyone like if we see a lot of people around us fading these older players, uh you're you're not really looking to do that. You're you're mostly looking to either and it doesn't even have to be a one-year punt. You're either looking for a one-year punt or just a young contender, like you like you can contend with just a bunch of young guys. Uh so you're doing that to keep your future flexibility open instead of almost using up the flexibility in the current draft basically.
0: Yeah. Because I think like what, what you see happen a lot is like, all right, let's say, for example, I kind of thread the needle and you you have like this perfect, perfect, perfect draft in a sense where things go right. You can trade, you can a lot of times trade a back in first for a Devonte Adams or for a, like even a, Tyreek Hill type maybe not Tyreek Hill but like that 29 30 year old receiver that can go dominate for you like a Keenan Allen I can go trade you can do that easily later in the year if I become a team that's that's really good so like to me if I if I'm getting Tyreek I need to be completely win now or um, I, I just think by the time you get into the season those older guys they immediately lose value on the trade market like you can't trade Tyreek for much more than like maybe you can trade him for like a late it's, a couple of late first or something you're not getting anybody's early first I, I
1: have i have some pushback there like for and tyreek is maybe like an outlier example but to me some, if i'm trying to trade for tyreek in season the person that i'm trying to trade with is saying hey he just had 150 yards and two touchdowns for me you got to pay up the wazoo where right now they're thinking hey how old is he again they're trying to like optimize their lineup for in august for November, So I could see like the flip side. I see, I totally get what you're saying, Todd. And I, I know that is like kind of a principal difference that we have in general. And it, there's no right or wrong way. I don't think either, but um, like there, there is different value points in different parts of the season for sure. I guess that's the overarching take that I have.
0: Yeah, it just I, I think the older players probably are more overvalued in season. Like the difference between if we're looking at winning, we talked about this later in the year, like trading Tyreek Hill. Um, uh, David Plout came on and he talked about trading Tyreek Hill for Chris Olave. I don't think that ultimately changed anything for his team. I think we're um, in the playoffs. So, like, give me Chris Olave. Yeah, the very Yeah. Uh, give me the wide receiver in the 12 to. 18 range instead of Tyreek Hill. I just don't think it's meaningful. Those points are as meaningful as we we want them to be. Now, ultimately, yes, I do want Tyreek Hill on my contenders, but from a startup perspective, I would rather have the youth than taking the Tyreek Hill. I'm also limited on who gotcha. I can trade with once I have him. Sure. All right. So that's principle one. The second one is I'm just trying to trade a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to trade. I'm, Brian's been in drafts with me where I've have my entire a uh, column where it's none, none of my picks I have pick in my spot. Some, some leagues are easier to trade than others. Some people are more, um, we were just in a startup where it was a little bit more difficult to trade and move up and down the board. But a lot of times within my trades, and we'll talk about trading in, in a minute, but um, I'm trying to move up and down the board. I'm not trying to trade like two picks for one pick or one pick for two or three picks. Um, I'm not as also looking to trade for four or trade away rookie picks. It's more about trading up and down the board and which goes into my third principle, which is um, trading and trying to get at the end of tiers. So understanding that ADP that Matt was talking about, understanding what my value of the players are in those tiers. And then if I'm at the beginning of a tier and I don't care which receiver I get, like let's use that big glob of wide receivers from 12 to 24, basically. I don't want to draft the guy at the top of the tier. I want to I trade back and just whoever you give me is fine. I don't really care. I don't, I don't have to have the... In- the sexy one at the top of the tier.
1: And Todd, typically from my experience, you know, being in leagues with you, you're, if you were at 401 and you see, you know, six receivers or whatever, you're not immediately trading back to like 407. You're like almost... You potentially go four. You go four hundred one to four hundred three, and then when yeah. four hundred three comes on the clock, you trade back again. So you're like gathering like a third here, or a third there, or whatever. You know, yeah, little pieces. So
0: like, I'll do a trade that looks like a loss. So I'll be like four, like you said, four hundred one to four hundred three. So I'll go four hundred one to four hundred three, and just kind of for say, all, it might be 5-10 uh, to five twelve. So like nobody in their right mind before the draft would make that trade, but when I'm on the clock at the four hundred four hundred one. I don't care which of these three receivers I get. I'll take any of them. So I'll move back two spots and just give me the two spots later. That's perfectly fine. Because here's the thing, in like two weeks, the or maybe we get into August, in two weeks, the order of those three receivers that everybody was so sure about is definitely changing.
1: You've also moved up in that second, where you've moved up in the second round, whatever, the fifth round or whatever you said, that you 5'10 to 5'12, that might be another tier cutoff. So you're going to the back end of one, and, and then keeping in the next tier as well, instead of losing that second tiered player,
2: and doing that yeah, there, is a perfect, you also you also to
1: start up trading. So let's go ahead and talk about that.
2: Yeah, you also leave yourself open for the absolute home run uh, outcome of you trade back a half round and you take and you get, let's say, a third or a second. And you get the guy that you would have taken anyway. Someone else traded up and l- let's say they wanted Jalen Waddle and I'd rather have Tank Dell. And now I moved back yeah. and got the guy I'd rather See. have in Tank Dell and got a second on yeah. top. So you just they got to make your
1: second. decision for you. Plus some extra. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. We're talking principles here. So this can transfer over to baseball as well. I'm in a dynasty baseball uh, startup right now. And I just traded back um, a full round and I, I took what I felt was like a really good trade, but I traded out of the tier and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to trade out of the tier, but I'm going to try to trade back in at some point when a couple of my guys go, one of my guys went, I had like five guys that was in one of them went now baseball is a little bit different. Cause there's a, la- a little bit less material yeah. out there for like ADP, yeah. but one of my guys went and I still easily, I traded back yet again later on because I was like, I got, I still am going to get the guy that I want. So now whether my player um, decision is correct, that's another another discussion. But as far as like the principle of trading back and just taking the end of the tier is really the biggest thing for me. So like, let's continue the startup trade discussion um, in that next segment. So, Brian, this is kind of kind of yours. So you wanted to talk about how we're valuing future picks. Um And kind of just defining, because when we're looking at like 501, 601, what do these values mean in terms of trade, I think is kind of what we want to talk through.
1: Yeah. So like the first thing that I really want to touch on with trading future rookie picks in startup drafts, it is almost a a no win situation um, for a couple of reasons. Especially if you're like in round four or five and you can say, hey, I'm building this I'm about to build this juggernaut contender, then you know, maybe your draft goes sideways. maybe you get sniped a couple of times, maybe an injury happens before the season, whatever the case is, when you're trading with someone and you're giving away your future pick, they're more often than not they're gonna say, okay, well, yeah, your, your team looks loaded, dude. like I'm gonna treat this as 111, 112, right? And you're losing value instantly and basically saying, you're sell you're selling for what it's it's peak or lowest level i guess you could say lowest level it's ever going to be valued wise it's a year plus out and they're viewing it as a 111112 um yeah you're you best can out only you can team. only lose on that you can only lose on that yeah like there's no real value gain and i've done this in the past and i and i was like man it's so easy to like fall in love with like oh my god yeah i'll trade up and get cmc and like whatever and then cmc gets hurt and you're absolutely torn apart you're terrible right and you just traded away the 102 103 you know that could happen in a blink of an eye so more than anything i think it's you have to you have to you have to understand that if you are going to trade your future i don't recommend it but if you are you have to at bare minimum say that there's when you're talking to the person that there's this variance that it could be it could end up being one oh one. So I can't treat it like one twelve either. Uh, I would I don't necessarily say we need to treat it as one oh one, but it's gotta at least be like a mid first. Like one oh seven at
2: worst. Yeah. That
1: has to be like, yeah, like a that has to be the threshold that we have to meet if, even if we want to talk about that type of thing. I don't again, I don't recommend it because I've almost always failed in doing this type of stuff. But that is the first thing that I really wanted to get off my chest is that um, you know, with especially if you're doing a startup before NFL draft or free agency roles can change. Like what if, you know, uh, you're trading for, I don't, I don't know, some, uh, H we'll say, and then the dolphins end up drafting some guy that is, a, and you know, everyone falls in love with and really di- you know, diminishes his value perceived value anyways. Yeah. All of a sudden I paid a first and a second or something for H Chan that he's now viewed as, uh, you know, a split time back or something like that. Like DeAndre Swift is a good example of like a few years ago, you could have thought you were putting the chips in for like the pony that was going to win a bunch of races. And then all of a sudden he's splitting time or less than that with Montgomery and then Philly and whatever else. Yeah. So trading first is a no from me, dog. Yeah,
0: I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not about it. Like I, that's the that's people, the
1: shorter route. <laughs> yeah,
0: I and mean, when people when I see people do it, I'm just like, man, that is tough to stomach. That you're trading away a future first for this round six player. What like let's use got somebody in round six, like even like Debo. Like Debo, I think is worth a first, but to trade away your future first at a time when you're not even positive that your team is that great. I, I, is just tough to stomach, man.
1: I think it, you can I trade think it a later. Trader, like if you're going to trade your future, it has to be like for someone, like for like a, a like a elite tier quarterback or receiver. Like if, if you're, you're trading, like if yeah, if you're going to like move if, up, if, yeah. I, even if, then, if it's like a deal, then to then like it,
2: even then, it has to be a great deal for me. Yeah. Like like if someone wants my sure. early third and future first, and I get to move up and draft Joe Burrow, sure. Like that's like turns into you know, maybe Gibbs or Laporta and a first for Joe Burrow. Like, yeah, I'm fine doing that. It, it really has to be like an overwhelming – and most people aren't doing that. Uh, You know, most people are asking for, like, your third and fifth and something else. Like, So – and that's a lesson I've just learned the hard way, man. Like, Brian, you were in some early drafts with me a few years ago when I first uh, started doing leagues with Twitter uh, people. And, yeah, that, that's just a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. Like, I, I thought, like Todd was saying, like, man, I got – Josh Allen, CMC, Ty- Tyreek, I am right there. Yeah, I'm firing off this first and second, picking up another guy, and then, yeah, guys get hurt, Variants happens. I guess just to counter the-
0: ourselves, is there a market for zigging and being willing to put your first out there as available to the chat, saying I'm willing to move my, my first? with the thought that I'm really only going to do a deal that's an absolute smash home run.
1: So you're I've looking been, for uh, a mistake from someone. Yeah, yeah Someone's like, because like
0: nobody else is trading their first right now. In the leagues that I'm – the yeah. startups that I've done no. literally the last two years, people – or this year and last year, people are really not moving their first.
1: You're going to get undercut if you do. Yeah, that's the only way. So, like, they're going to so be like, oh, I think I example. give you Michael Pittman probably.
0: This is an example from a trade that I did after an auction startup that we did um, last year. But it was like a week after the startup. And I traded away Bryce Young, Jameson Williams, and my future first. And I was like a mid type team, but I got Herbert out of it. And at the time, I was like, man, I'm really, de- I'm definitely trading like a mid first year. Like I, I don't view my, and I didn't make the playoffs. I missed the playoffs, but it still was a win for me. I traded a mid first. Um, I think it ended up being one oh six. I traded one oh six Bryce Young and Jameson Williams for Herbert. So like if you could make maybe you need more of a home run than that because Bryce Young at the time was worth more than he is now. But you need just an absolute home run. It doesn't hurt to like throw it out there that you might be willing to move it. it doesn't mean you have to do it. You obviously don't want to t- negotiate in bad faith, but if if you're if you're the only one willing to move a future first, the supply and demand might work out in your favor. Yeah, definitely. but I only yeah. do it on a really good deal,
2: <laughs> right? And, and well, and uh, I forget which one of you made the point, but if you're gonna do it and you trade up to get an elite quarterback, like, even if you lose the deal, like you still got Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, like you still have, you know, uh, one of I've, the top assets for the next several years. Like I will say, I will say, I will say this. Back. Yeah, go
1: ahead. I think I think there's times where people just say blind or at least maybe this happened a few years ago. There, there's an friend specifically that I took over um, a few years ago that had drafted Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. So both in the first round. So I assume they just gave up the whole kitten. Cool. You know, just like gave everything up. Yeah. So, Like, it's cool to say, like, I have Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, but if you have nothing left in terms of assets or other flexibility, again, like you're either end up, you're going to say, oh, I have these two guys and you're going to talk about a bad team for six years, or you're going to end up breaking one of those guys down and, you know, getting Jared Goff plus or something like that, which might be okay for you. But for me, like, it kind of eliminates the whole point of like, why did you get these two guys if you don't have anything to build around them?
2: Yeah and no, I I think those strategies have kind of uh yeah switched a little bit like 3 years ago the productive struggle uh, I think Ryan McDowell coined it that was still kind of newer and people still kind of made fun. I mean still people do still kind of make fun of that but they're generally idiots uh but we see the like the one year punt, productive struggle that that's the most popular draft method right now and a few years ago, a popular uh, strategy was what you just said. Like, I'm going to trade into the top 10 and I'm going to get two elite quarterbacks and I'm going to build around them no matter what. And you can pull that off. Uh, but to your point, you you definitely have to nail a lot of the rest of the draft. You can't swing and miss on like round four or five, six or I mean, you're you're talking about a couple of years. You just set it's- your team back.
1: It's it's funny because you're like saying like like I think like Todd, you mentioned the zigzagging and it it's like an ever-evolving method that you have to stay on top of things. It's the George Kittle that we talked about from last week or a couple weeks ago where I hated him and then I love him. It's just you have to understand that and that's why I say reading the room. I know it's kind of a cliche statement, but you have to read the room both market wise, league-wise. And yourself, and I think some people some sometimes get like a little too locked into like these are my guys, this is my strategy, this is what works. Like I'm, all, I'm a win now guy. I'm a rebuild guy. I'm a, you know, trade all my first guy. Like it shouldn't be like every league you go in, you're doing the exact same thing. To me, so that's we're kind I, of like that doesn't make sense to me.
0: So we, we've kind of touched on it: you know, the punt versus the contend versus. I call it thread the needle or like productive struggle. I think in the years past, if you try to do a productive struggle, you could productive struggle. You could end up with like the one Oh one or the one Oh two, or you could thread the needle and become a good team, but you didn't to get that one Oh one or the one Oh two, you didn't have to completely debilitate your roster. But in the year of Caleb Williams, you could not, just yeah you know have a young team come away with the 101 or the 102 like you had to rip your roster apart and we talked about it throughout the year like I was never willing to just completely debilitate all future value just to get one player and so I I think that the one-year punt isn't even really a thing anymore I think it's a two-year punt that people are really doing
1: I, I think it's a, it's a vicious cycle. I think I think a lot yeah. of people are going into a vicious cycle of a six year punt and a seven year punt, and that's like the win now guys. That like I specifically think about people in a lot of mats leagues that are like redraft players that are new to dynasty that are just like, oh, you just like having the new you know new toy and then you sell them and get a new toy and then you sell them and then you get a new toy. Like that is not what the strategy is to constantly sell guys like when you hit on guys big time like either get great value out of it or ride that guy but it's not just like a recycling let's try it again and like i think some people look for like the validation of like nailing rookie picks i think that's a huge pitfall for a lot of dynasty managers where they like want to have the ego boost of like i hit on i'll use trail on burks and that i screwed myself over pretty hard in some sense, is there like If you say, hey, I'm smarter than everybody else, I'm going to get 25 shares of Traylon Burks. You better start getting rid of some of them too, or you're stuck with a guy that's potentially totally useless in two years.
0: So I'm going to cite this from at on Twitter at Dynasty Onion. Um, And and what, what this account posted was, if you had the opportunity to trade a round in a startup, a round 15 pick for a late round one or early round two startup pick. Round 15 for a late one, but you weren't allowed to come into money in the money in year one. Would you do it? Easy. Okay, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. So the, the thought there is that you're trading away. Let's just assume that the 112 and the 201. Are basically equal, right? If you win the league or you come in like 111, mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. versus the 201, they're pretty close to equal. They're not exactly equal, but they're close. A 211 or 212 rookie pick is worth about a round 14, 15 startup pick. A 101, a Caleb, a Bijan, a uh, Trevor Lawrence goes in the late first of a startup. So you're effectively... Even just call it a round 12 with some of the value that we talked about. Round 12 for round one startup pick. Can't come into money year one. Would you do it? And that is really the reason why that I punt typically year one. And I will admit though, yeah. they are turning into two-year punts.
1: It, that, that That's the problem that like... First of all, I think a lot of people are too impatient or ego-driven to lose to their friends or, you know, they you know, people they see on Twitter or whatever, they want to prove people that they're good at it or smart or whatever the case is. And they're, they have the backstop of orphaning and that's a, another rampant issue that we see in dynasty in general. Like I can go all in, sell all my picks, blah, 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 blah. I don't have to win one or two years. Or I, if I don't win one or two years, I can say, Oh, redo, try it again. And I think that is what is happening more often than not. And that's, that's what sucks that like you and I or us here are rebuilding. And all of a sudden the league is like semi-broken because three people tried winning it all, gave everything up left.
2: Yeah. A lot of startups that we've done over the last year or so involve a lot of the same group of guys that we're in a group chat with. And while it's fun to mix up with new people, a, a very strong benefit of that is like i know jake and jacob and gabe and me and you and todd we're not going to do that right so you can trust that the, that you can pull off that strategy with no concerns whereas if you know you're joining the league and you know one other guy and 10 strangers and then you know five people try and pull that strategy and then the league just Don't. folds and you just wasted Don't two years it. and two payments like so it's so important to vet your league mates and Know who you're playing
0: with that might be dynasty startup principle number one is only joining yeah. leagues that i have a yeah. good uh, belief that it's going to last Um and it's, I, I know it's, a league that i start i joined last year you had to pay two years
1: um entry
2: yeah fee it's becoming and, more popular pay for yeah two years. i'm really
0: only going to be willing to join leagues like
1: that to me well, a major red flag as we're going off this tangent a little bit, a major red flag for any commissioner that especially if I don't know them, if they don't have like set bylaws that they can show me like right away, like rules and collection methods and paying for future picks, et cetera, et cetera. If they don't have those things in place, even if they say they they're planning on doing that, if they don't have that at the ready, uh, it's it's a total uh, no go for me. Yeah. And, so, right. and, and Todd, like when that was like before you really knew me at all, that was the first thing that you asked me when I was asking you about joining the league. You're like, can I see the bylaws? You asked me this question and that question. And I was like, oh, okay. Like this is, this is, this is what I'm looking for for someone, not just like, oh, yeah, sure. Perfect. When do we draft? Like,
2: right. <laughs> yeah. Before I joined Twitter, I was only in two home leagues. We did none of that shit. We never paid for future picks. We never, like, we didn't even have bylaws really. Um, And luckily, those two home leagues have stuck together. There hasn't been a lot of orphans, but that's because it's a group of friends that we know. Uh, That's different than, you know, finding a league on Twitter or social media or somewhere else. And once I joined Twitter, it was basically Dynasty Zoltan and some of these other uh, people in our chat that essentially taught me how to play Dynasty the way we currently think of it and now how to be a good commissioner and how to run a league. So uh, definitely can't stress the importance of that enough.
0: So we're going to get into our individual strategies and we're, we're kind of talking punt versus contender, um, threading the needle. Brian, why don't you kick it off with your strategy? Because I think it kind of flows into that discussion and we can maybe talk more about some of those principles again with, with your strategy for this season. So these are, these are strategies for the 2024 off season. So Maybe if you wanted to, and next year if you want to listen to the first fifteen minutes, first thirty minutes, all right. But this part portion, we're going to kind of be like more for this year
1: specific. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a great question, and I'm I'm happy to lead us off here. Uh, you know, I mentioned how excited I am after doing some of the research for the show. The prep was interesting to say the least. Just looking at some ADPs and like our most recent startup. Um, I'm notoriously Uh, a one-year tanker um you know usually people can kind of predict like these are the guys that he's going for um you know I, i and i i don't like being predictable first and foremost i think that's that's a disadvantage in general um so i try to zig whenever i can and i guess i was i had a little bit of a blind spot here including the start that we just did i don't I don't hate my team, but I don't love it either. And I think if I did this following situation, I probably would like my team more. Uh, and it was definitely available to me. So um, I think I would try, first of all, I'm not trading my futures. I would I would maybe trade my futures in season, something like that, like Todd mentioned earlier. But um, my goal would be in wherever I am in the first round, I would want a quarterback in one of my first two picks. That's not groundbreaking, and this yeah. next thing probably isn't either. But in our most recent startup, 12 receivers, including Marvin Harrison Jr., went in the first three rounds. And that's a pretty sharp group, a running back-averse group in general, uh, somewhat tight end even like because they saw the value. So that is on the safe side that you'd probably get twelve, the top 12 receivers in the first three rounds. So I think you could get a quarterback either round one or two that's elite and two top 12 receivers in the first three rounds, I think that's a no brainer start. Um, so give us an example, like, like,
0: like give us yeah. an example of like kind of what that, what that one would look like for the first three rounds.
1: Um, let's say I had uh, 109, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so that's like Caleb Williams, uh, Anthony Richardson. We'll We'll say one of those two guys. Um and if and if Burrow or Herbert drop, which I've seen a couple times, if one of those guys drops, obviously one of those guys potentially. Um, so that would put me at 204, something yep. like, like in that range. Um, you're looking at wide receiver three, four, five, six range. So, like, you know, I'm on Ross St. Brown, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., there's depending on who you like of those guys. AJ Brown, there's maybe the uh I, I don't think CeeDee Lamb probably drops there. But then you have so we'll say I take one of those like, you know, like fifth or sixth receiver overall, whoever that is for you. Uh Garrett Wilson, all those guys. Um, then you have another receiver run where you could go with depending on you know where you lean tendency wise, that's like Tyreek Hill potentially. That's that's um AJ Brown, Chris Olave. Yeah, they like there's there's four like, if, what if I'm you're like super high on Nico Collins or like uh, neighbors potentially, depending on how you know, who who you're talking to and how how you feel about them, that is that that foundation of like those first three guys gives you so much flexibility. You're, like you're talking about threading the needle, that is a, a awesome threading the needle situation. That if something goes wrong or if you get sniped on a guy or whatever something happens, you still aren't like all in on, I have to win now to be a successful draft. So to me, it would be quarterback, two receivers in the first three rounds. And then I'm either looking at like, uh, if we're talking tight end premium, I'm looking potentially uh, as in terms of tight end, like either Mark Andrews round four pits round five. You got a bunch of guys like Kincaid, Ingram, Najoku, Kelsey, Hawk, Kittle in the six to nine range. If I get one of those guys between rounds four and nine, that lo- leaves me a lot of opportunity for other guy like other great values that again gives me flexibility to build out however I want to go. And I'm not gonna be like um giving away my uh road roadmap basically. So, so like let yeah. me ask
0: a quick question. So yep. um what is the benefit for you? To take a re- two receivers in the first three rounds, so you're talking about getting one, getting your quarterback in round one or two. So you've taken either a Caleb Williams in round one or vice versa. Maybe take uh, Lamb in round one and then like Kyler in round two, but yeah. then you're getting that receiver most likely in round three. So what is kind of the benefit of getting those receivers in the first two out of three rounds?
1: I think first of all, they're like receivers are very pos- uh, popular at the top of the board. Um, so first and foremost, like you're like we talked a little bit off air about like positional scarcity. There's tons of receivers that existently. There's not tons of game changing receivers. Um, And to me, like if you get like two of those top 12 ish guys, those are game changing guys that all have potential. Like you talked about earlier, Todd of like, you know, in terms of ROI, I could get like some wide receiver one overall seasons from either of these guys. Right. So to me, quarterback foundation, foundation, that makes sense. And then if you get two receivers, in, t- in theory, their careers are longer longevity-wise. Um, they're going to give you tons of points. And you're able to – and it kind of coincides with what a lot of value happens at the end of the draft or later in drafts, um, like devalued veteran running backs like um, Aaron Jones and James Conner and you know less sexy like Brian Robinson or
2: uh, – yeah. Yeah, David Montgomery, those type of guys.
1: Mara, David Montgomery. Like there's yeah. there's countless guys that you can get in like rounds nine plus. Like I mentioned. So like I, I mentioned all those, I all those tight ends ending in Kittle. Like if I get one of those guys before round nine, I have tons of running backs that I like putting in into a, a win now situation. That I also have the foundational pieces that when those running backs age out, get hurt lose their job, whatever the case is. I have three, four, five, six foundational pieces that I can just re, uh, you know, replace running backs and maybe like in rookie drafts, I, I don't need necessarily to overdraft rookies in rookie drafts, which I never would do anyways, but it gives you a lot of flexibility. So like I can take chances on, you know, HN or Saquon or Etienne or Kyron Williams in the, you know, rounds four to seven range. And have that one maybe foundational if you if you're really high on one of those guys, foundational running back and then fill in with a couple other really strong guys for a year or two of production.
0: Yeah, so while like while everybody else is taking like Devontae Smith or DK Metcalf or whoever those re- receivers are in the glob, you can take your ETN, your Kyron Williams, or maybe a high end tight end. Well, they're all taking those, but you've already gotten those two high-end receivers. <laughs> that you've built your roster around like yeah ARSB and AJ Brown for example yeah exactly
1: and then it's it's something that you can also kind of a lot of people will um devalue like guys like Debo Stefan Diggs Mike Evans Amari Cooper that instead of them being they can give you you know a wide receiver one like top 12 seasons still but they're your receiver three or four or five on your team and that's like major value add for sure again
2: yeah, makes sense. I mean, uh, the few things that I've noticed when looking at uh, 2024 specific startup strategies, uh, one that we've kind of touched on, and I'm not going to do a Jordan Love thing, but uh, Jordan Love and Kyler are the two guys that stand out in round two to me that um, enlist, Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen are the two quarterbacks I probably don't want to trade out of if I unless I'm getting a really great return. But if I'm like in the middle of the first and I have Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert to choose from, I don't see any difference between them and Jordan Love and Kyler. Um, Definitely not a big difference. That's for sure. So I'm definitely looking to trade back, uh, pick up some extra round four and five or future first, whatever Uh, pick up some more stuff, trade back, make those my QB one for the first time since I've been doing dynasty the last few years, last few years, I've always faded running backs in the first four rounds and looked at those guys at the bargain bin kind of guys that we just went over this year. I think it's different. Um, so if I'm doing a startup draft, especially if I'm not certain, I'm going to do a one-year punt. If I think there's a good chance I'm trying to contend, I want Brees Hall, Bijan, or Jameer Gibbs. And it's because to me, That sticks out the most of this year's group, this year's ADP, in terms of uh, positional scarcity. Now, I think a lot of people, like you said, they're just afraid to draft running backs. And I think that makes these three guys a major value. And uh, their youth, combined with their upside potential of over 20 points a game, combined with, you know, what you expect them to do the next five six years a lot of people have compared them already to like our our new generation of cmc zeke and kamara uh definitely can see that um so i don't want to pass those guys up at like the like end like mid to end of round two like early round three is where i see them go like if for example in your startup bajan went 211 then breeze 301 gibbs uh 302 perfect value i, I love the value there so there's only three of those guys. And like, I don't like CMC and JT, CMC definitely. And even JT, a little too old for that. HN has way more questions than the three I just mentioned. ETN, I don't think it is as good as those three. I don't think he has 20 point plus per game upside like those three do. And they're younger than him. Um, I don't know what to do with Kyron. I don't think he's nearly as good as as, them, though I treat him like ETN. So, To me, there's only a few of those guys. If you can get one, you're never going to regret it. They're going to have a lot of strong value. And I think that's going to be something that we kind of see people start to notice in terms of like, I think by like the summer, I I could see those guys creeping up to like early to mid round two, where right now they're going to half or full round later than that.
0: Yeah, because we get into like redraft season and they're taking those guys in the first half of a redraft league. And then it just feels clunky to be taking them in the third round of a startup. So it's like they're kind of combining their redraft mentality with dynasty startup. So I think you're right. I think like July, August, there's going to be significant value gain on um, you mentioned Brees, Bijan, and Gibbs probably moving up half around even a full round most likely.
2: Yeah. And I like Jay. I love uh, J. the value on JT too. Like if if you can get him in the mid third, I'm I'm fine with that. CMC, that's uh, a guy I'm never afraid to take. Um, Might differ from you a little bit there, Todd, but, um, but to, to Brian's point, you either have to get an extreme value if you don't know your direction or you have to be ready to say, Hey, I'm going to contend because I have CMC. Um, So it's one or the other, but I'm, I'm not afraid of taking CMC either. I think he's, got a few great years left in them, but so those are like the big five running backs but really the three younger ones to me keep your flexibility open you can even do a one-year punt if you can't trade them for the return you think they're worth
0: so my strategy is <laughs> I, I didn't really realize it but it's kind of a mesh of, of your all's strategies so in in round one this year and i talked about it some in the startup mock that we did but Justin Jefferson is my go-to in round one for this offseason. If you can get him like in the mid first, that's kind of where I'm targeting. I think I've seen him even go as late as like eight or nine in in the first round. So really what I want to do is get Justin Jefferson round one. And then the second round with Kyler or Jordan Love is just amazing to me to be able to get one of those guys in round two. They're really, like you said, they're not that much different than bro or Herbert. Yeah, You have the opportunity that they could get that value gain that I'm looking for. I'm looking to maybe draft someone in the second, that can be a first rounder next year. And I think that they easily could do that. They might even be that like that by August. And from a points per game standpoint, what am I really giving up? Maybe nothing. I might be gaining points per game even versus lamar like i'm probably gonna piss some people off with that but even versus lamar there's probably not that much difference
1: ty let me ask you a question here so you mentioned so let's say justin jefferson 107 right that's like about the range 107 108 what if you are in a league with someone who either listens to the podcast or is matt or whatever where jordan love goes super high kyler I see as like massive variants where he's like, sometimes he's at the end of round three. Sometimes he's at the end of round one. So what if Jordan love and Kyler go with this build where you have Justin Jefferson, are you potentially doubling up in a real draft? Are you doubling up on receiver potentially? Like who dropped like uh, if like Marvin Harrison jr or something drops, or are you taking someone like whoever the next quarterback is? Dak? Yeah. So we're assuming basically I'm doing this off the top of my head. Like,
0: like 12 QBs have basically gone roughly. And so if I'm picking at the 205, that means that I'm assuming Jefferson Lamb and Chase are already gone too. I'm worst case scenario sitting on ARSB, I think if my math is correct. Worst case sitting on ARSB, I'd be okay with just taking ARSB. And and I start my, my league with Jefferson ARSB. The other thing I'd be looking to do is make that trade up. I talk about yeah. like I'm trying to almost always trade up and down, get the end of tiers. The end of that tier is a massive teardrop to me after, let's call it Jordan Love. I'm going to just try to trade up a spot or two. I think like what we found is that there's a lot of, dissension between people on whether Jordan love deserves to be in that grouping. So there could be someone sitting at the two Oh four. That's like, I have no interest in Jordan love. I will happily trade back one or two spots because I wasn't going to take him anyways. Um, And um, also you mentioned reading the room. If someone took a quarterback in round one, a lot of people don't like starting their draft quarterback, quarterback. That's how I used to start all my drafts. Now I'm talking about doing Jeff, Justin Jefferson round one. I used to always start my draft, just stock, quarterback, quarterback, bang, bang. And a lot of people don't like doing that. So maybe I just look at the board and I say, I got, I'm going to take the gamble. He's going to go ARSB at the 204. And, I, and Jordan Love's going to fall to me or whatever it is. Um, and then the other the reason I love quarterback in round two is that a few years ago, Round two quarterbacks were guys like Stafford, Russell Wilson, um, uh, Tannehill. I've seen, I saw Tannehill going in round two a few years ago. The, all those guys that are now old or were old and are now they're old, aged out. We're not drafting those types of guys in round two in this one. We're talking about Jordan Love, who's 25. We're talking about Kyler Murray. We're talking about – Dak's not that old. He's probably on the older side, but he's still got five or six years. So there's good younger quarterbacks taking round two, whereas before you were taking guys that were not worth it. And that's why you. I feel like you had to go quarterback in round one. Now you can go Justin Jefferson in round
2: and the thing that adds to that strategy is, so we had three quarterbacks really emerge last year, uh, Jordan Love, C.J. Stroud, and even Anthony Richardson. All, mm-hmm. all this community needed was a game and a half from that guy. <laughs> and like, he's, he's on the turn. And this year, we're even more blessed. This year, we're getting three Konami quarterbacks in probably the top five picks of the real life NFL draft that are uh, in Caleb, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. Um, so I mean, that's, that's why, I, like to me, Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen are just a little bit different. Like they're difference makers. Um, they're going to be for a long, long time. I, 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 don't know that Burrow and Herbert are, I, I don't know that Hertz is, I don't know that CJ Stroud is really, I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, I, like we've talked in the past few weeks about how we think he might be a little bit overvalued, uh, based on the production, so, yeah. I mean, again, if I can trade back get into that second round, pick up a few more, uh, you know, round four, five, six picks, man, you've got to look at doing that. It's 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 going to help you out so much. It's going to leave you more margin for error later on in the draft and later on in the season, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and so th- that gets me through round two. So, and I really like the idea of getting another receiver in round three. I would say Malik Neighbors is probably the guy that I'm really targeting, but it's because like, I view him as probably going after Alave and AJ Brown. But Alave, AJ Brown, Neighbors, that grouping before you get to the glob. I really don't want to draft in the glob. And that's basically my strategy. My strategy is I don't want to draft in the glob. Um, I want to take early receiver, forget about it, get a tight end. Maybe that's uh, Kincaid, or I'm probably not going to be willing to take a Laporta as early he, as he's going. But I'm going to try to get one of those tight ends. If I miss on them, my draft is also – it's built around really two things. And I Matt was shaking his head because I think he knows where I was going with it. My draft is built around two things. I want to avoid the glob, and I want to look at Deshaun Watson in, like, round four or four, five, whenever it is that he's going. Because I can get a guy that I think is going to increase value. And I talked about that's, like, the biggest part of –
2: Speaking of, of two-year punts, but – no, uh, yeah, I mean – he, he, yeah, a lot of people agree. Probably more people agree with you on Watson in the fourth than I, I would. Like to me, it's important to note note that like Dak is almost always the end of that like top uh, second tier of quarterbacks. Like he goes in the late second usually, from what I see. And then, uh, I mean, a guy that is last and lasted until four nine in your draft that went six picks after Deshaun Watson is Brock Purdy. Like, yep. I, I'd rather have Brock Purdy than Deshaun Watson. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, and we're talking kind of like, we're trying to be a little bit player agnostic from like, who's worth more than who, but like, yeah, as far as like my strategy goes. Yeah. If it's Purdy in round four, okay, that's fine. So, but like another quarterback in round four, while people are drafting the glob. And then in round five ish, a guy like ETN or Achan, I think is around that area. And Again, while while they're drafting those receivers, I'm collecting quarterback and um running back or tight end. And I think the easiest thing to trade for in dynasty is the wide receiver position, and if I've already got two locked in, I can always come back later and trade for, you know, wide receiver 26 in dynasty. Like that's a lot easier to do. Like yeah. the wide receiver 26 a lot of times isn't even worth a first round pick.
1: So, Todd, you're talking about a start of like Jordan Love, Justin Jefferson, Malik Neighbors, ETN, Jared Goff, something like that. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's that's a pretty interesting start to a, a team for sure. Well, yeah, you just, you just basically described the way
0: I started my last startup, <laughs> um, except for I got Watson. So that's kind of how I'd like to do it. But I'm going to add some flavor to something that I want to try next draft that I do and that's potentially to trade out of my first round pick and really all of my pick, or not all of my picks, but a lot of my early picks trading back and take my six, seven, eight, 7, 8, and maybe, maybe just call it my 7. Just use like one or two picks and consistently try to move it up and turn yeah. it into a fifth round pick. So like let's say I start at the 107. I trade back from 107 to 110, and the other manager, I say, listen, I want to trade up from the 7 to the late fifth with that pick or the or the early sixth or whatever it is, seventh to sixth. Then later on, I trade with my third round pick and I move back five or six spots. And I say, I want to take that sixth round pick that I moved up earlier. I want to move it up into the fifth. And I just now next time make a trade, I'm going to go with my seventh or my sixth round pick. I'm going to try to move that one up into the fifth. I want to get as many picks up into that fifth range as I can. So I just turned my What do we say? My sixth and my seventh into two fifths. That would be a huge win to me because I think those there's a gap where not only does it go from players worth a first to not worth a first, but there's also a gap where it goes from players worth a first to players worth like a first and a second or players that are worth two firsts. They're in like that. what maybe a great, fourth range.
2: Yeah, like a great example of that. Uh I, I know you don't like the glob, as you say, but like five, uh, like looking at your startup, five one was Tank Dell. Six Tank Dell was a
0: great value in that draft.
2: Yeah, five one was Tank Dell. Six twelve was Terry McLaurin. I I don't think you can trade Terry McLaurin in a future first for Tank Dell right now. I I don't think anyone with Tank Dell is probably accepting that unless it's projected as an early first. So, like, you're talking about a massive tier break in less than two round, less than two full rounds. So,
0: yeah. So I'm just gonna uh, keep. I'm gonna basically dedicate a pick. I'm gonna go and say, all right, if I'm the if I'm the 107, I've got the 707, right? With that 7.07, my whole mentality is how do I get this 7.07 turned into a mid-fifth? And anytime I make a trade, I'm working that pickup. And then once I've got into a spot that I'm good with, now I'm going to go back and maybe get my eighth and turn into a sixth or my sixth and try to turn into another fifth. But that's going to be my strategy for for my next draft is just trying to tinker with that and see how I can make it happen.
1: I've, I've done the semi, what you're kind of describing before. It's a lot of fun. It takes a lot of work and honestly, it takes a little bit of luck that you have the managers that are willing to wheel and deal in that league. So that's partly reading the room. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did, I traded my first for a second and a third. And then I think I traded the third for a fourth and a fifth, something like that, like third plus a ninth or something like that. Um, So that I ended up having like a bunch of, I have like my, my receiver room is unreal. Like it was, it was a tank year, but like I have like Garrett Wilson's like my wide receiver three or four on that team. So let's close this out talking
0: about one more, like kind of added segment here talking about like going full contend. Like, is that more desirable in this current market environment Than doing these one year that turn into two year tanks that I've been doing. And should we should we try should we try a full contend startup build? And if you're going to do it, when should you do it?
1: I think it's dependent. I think it's dependent on everyone else that's in the draft with you. You can't go in and say, I'm going to do this thing, because what if 10 other people are trying to do that thing? And then you miss out on opportunity to do a rebuild. So it's like it's one of those things that you kind of like, you, but, well, like but what you're saying is you're those that that first five rounds that you kind of like laid out or first four or five rounds that allows you to have either either route to take. And then by then you should be able to see teams that are either tanking or fully contending.
2: Yeah. That's and the, I, thing, the thing I would add to that is uh, this kind of goes back to us all agreeing in the principles about not trading future first is like. No matter how hard I'm contending, like I like I let's say I draft CMC and Tyreek and Mark Andrews and I get digs in the round six. Right. I'm just not trading my future picks. You just don't need to to have like a bye week contending team. Uh, There's no reason for it. It's the same logic that you were talking about earlier, Todd, with like Tyreek versus Olave. The difference is actually negligible on how much that like that point per game difference helps you win in the playoffs, etc. It's the same principle of trading your future first now. Like you're if you go full contend, unless you screw the draft up, your team is gonna look like a contender after the draft, whether you trade that future first or not. So I'm just not touching it. Uh like you said, like we all agreed on save that bullet for in season if you need it. Uh you know, injury insurance, all that stuff. Uh but I will say I, I I generally agree with your point, Todd, and I'm I'm approaching every draft like trying to stay flexible, but I'm trying. I'm going in planning to win. I'm I'm not going in planning to do a one-year punt. I'm going to try and draft a team that I think is going to be competitive in 2024, and then I, you know, stay flexible. I'm willing to switch up that strategy as early as round two. Um,
1: To to, to Todd's point, it's definitely the sexy thing to rebuild now for a year, like one-year punt, productive struggle. That is definitely more fact, and more prevalent
0: 2019 20, i mean 2018 19, 20, I was doing startups in all those time frames you could build a really solid good team and get the 101 it wasn't that I, difficult I
2: 20 in 2020,
0: I mean, yeah. in 2020 exactly. or 2021 I did a a one-year tank on a in a league with some good managers all, from Twitter and I turned it around the next year I was in the championships like it just like it wasn't even hard it was like I just I got Brees hall And then, bam, I was already, I was, boom, I was a contender. And
2: and it's very rare that uh, nowadays, to to our point, you almost never see someone uh, in the middle of a startup, let's say, round 10, and they got four future surplus firsts. That almost never happens anymore. And two, three years ago, it was pretty common there was one guy that was able to do that. Uh, If you can still do that, you know, if you're in a home league or, you know, if you're playing with a different than we obviously play with. Yeah, definitely try that strategy because it's almost fucking foolproof. But everybody noticed uh, the benefits of it over the last couple of years.
0: So I'm going to make a commitment to a startup probably in the post-NFL draft timeframe. So like around May, probably mid May, maybe early June, when rookie hype is at its peak, when people are just enthralled with the rookies when they're going to get driven up, startup draft ADP, yeah. and before we get to redraft season. Once you get to redraft season, if you're drafting to contend, you're in a you're kind of behind the eight ball, in my opinion. In in rookie draft season, I'm gonna com- I'm gonna commit to drafting a win now all in contender, taking guys like CMC, taking like the Devontae Adams taking like a win now approach. I'm not going to try my future first. Like we're talking about, I'm not going to also like, I'm not, ch- I'm not going to take bad value. I'm just going to take the good value of the good players, of the good win now players like a yeah. CMC um, w- willing to take early running backs, things like that. And I'm going to see what, see how it shakes out. Cause I'm really, I really have never done one like that. I've taken, I've done teams where I semi tried to win, like thread the needle. And then either win it. But you leave yourself in
2: a skate hatch. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I've never like actually gone full tilt all in, let's go try to win this year. I'm gonna do that in rookie draft season.
2: Yeah, we we've kind of thrown the idea around about you know doing the league with some of our listeners. So maybe that's not a, a bad one to just look at my later head this summer. Great. That's
1: sweet. the problem, yeah.
2: <laughs> not <laughs> well, all, all three maybe, of us are doing maybe the we'll same thing for, for later on, but Hey, some but random, honestly, some random dude, rookie, listener
1: ends up with six first-round picks because we're all just like <laughs> tossing away to play one now. <laughs>
2: dude, rookie hype gets so hot that time of year. To your point, Todd, you can straight up tell the rest of the league what you're planning on doing and still pull it off. <laughs> like, right. Right? like there is a sweet spot, like you said, in between the rookie hype and the, you know, oh shit, points are going to matter this year season. Um, th- yeah, definitely agree with that.
1: I'm I'm dying. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm I'm dying for a startup. Now I've I've been very disciplined. I think this is this is the moment that I need to have one more before our our dynasty market watch league.
2: You guys just did one like what a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, but
1: I screwed that one up. That's what I. That's what we were saying. <laughs> uh, man. So I didn't screw uh, it up, but I didn't. I didn't. I don't love how it went. I want to yeah. try something.
2: No, nah, I hear you. And guys. I think that I think, your, that's, your I think that's, that's stay
0: flexible, apply apply your values. Actually, it's easier said of, than done. Yeah. One of
2: the, one of my home leagues uh that's been around for uh, about four years or so. Uh we're actually gonna do a redraft of the entire league this year because uh we have decided as a group that it is too lopsided. There are too many behemoth teams, and there are too many <laughs> and there are too many teams that are just straight. Fucked for no better. I, like, did people word. have to hide
0: themselves out like that? That's what I would require if I was the, first, of- the first. The first. The first yeah, thing I, I mean,
1: ever did was a bunch of people that didn't know Dynasty, and then two people that did, and yeah. that's that's kind of how the league turned out. That it ended up being like a no orphans, but like a 16 dispersal draft. It was just outrageous. Like half the league dispersal with no one leaving.
2: Yeah, and like uh, you know, shout out our uh, friend Nick, uh, woman lover, and uh, my friend Shade. They're, they have the two best teams. I have the third best team, but it, they're de- it's definitely worse than their two teams. And you know, they were no magnanimous. Lord, you're, doing a, you're doing a redraft. They, they were magnanimous about it. They said that yeah, this definitely fucks us over, but yeah, let's re- for the health of the league long term. Yeah, let's redraft this because I mean, there's some teams that are straight like. I'm the best, di- the best Dynasty player in the world could take over one of these teams and they won't have them in the playoffs in the next four years. Like that type of <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs> So, So it, it's either that or fold the league. we we made the right choice. Shout out 2K3 League.
0: <laughs> All right, that wraps us up. Thank you for joining Dynasty Market Watch, presented by Bulletproof Family of Podcast. We're going to continue to be back every week this offseason. After the NFL Combine, we're going to start hitting on more of the late-round rookies Guys, after that first round, uh, we want to see some of that um, draft capital and kind of get an idea using grinding the mocks and other resources to understand kind of what the, that draft capital is going to look like. So after the NFL Combine here in a few weeks, we'll start hitting those rookies. You can find Brian on Twitter, at Brian underscore O'Leary one. Matt is at Dynasty Peasant. I'm Todd at Dynasty Flex, and you can find me in the Boltproof Discord. Would really help if you could rate and review the podcast. Don't forget to go find us in the Bulletproof feed and listen there.